Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is at Dr. Draper, otherwise known as Ryan Wallman. Ryan is the author of the brand new book, Delusions of Brandger. He's also the creative director and head of copy at Melbourne-based creative agency, Wellmark. Dr. Draper, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you so much, Rob. It's a pleasure. Now, do you want me to call you Dr. Draper or Ryan? <laughs> Ryan's just fine. Thank you. <laughs> it's very funny, you know, because I, I I met you on Twitter. I know, you, I know you from Twitter. And, you know, I kind of know you as at Dr. Draper. It's, it's very funny. So somebody was saying, oh, who's on the podcast today? I said, oh, my God, we have at Dr. Draper. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you're not the only one. A lot of people said that. Oh, you're, oh, you're Dr. Draper. Oh, now it makes sense. My alter ego has, has preceded me. Absolutely. Now, we're going to discuss Delusions of Brandger, which is hilarious. And, and, I've, and I've got a copy in front of me. I should probably post a photo of this with so many pages uh, flagged uh, to chat about. But I think maybe just starting off, you know, how would you describe this book? Well, if I had to describe it in a kind of a pithy line, it's essentially uh, the way that I describe it on the uh, on the blurb and, and what we've used in our promotional materials as far as, you know, as far as there are promotional materials, uh, which is that it's an antidote to the insanity that pervades the modern marketing industry. That's probably the easiest way I can put it. I kind of feel like if you wrote that, and someone else wrote that, and you saw that on Twitter, you would make fun of that. <laughs> That's quite possible. Yeah, I, I deserve to be made fun of then. I mean, it, it's kind of a – and again, you, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's as I was reading it, um, I felt like it was kind of a, you know, kind of a send-up, a satire, you know, if you will – of our business today. Yeah, it is. And in many ways, that's that's true. And uh, a lot of the material that I've put together for it is quite satirical, as you, as you would know. But I think and one of the points that I make in the introduction is that I hope that there is also a, a serious message behind some of the satire and the humour. And, and I think there are also more serious pieces within it. So I don't think it's just, well, interestingly, Dave Trott reviewed the book for me and he said, he kind of scanned it the first time and then came back to me afterwards and said, well, I, I've just realised that it's not wall-to-wall piss-taking. It's actually, there's actually some, some more serious stuff in there. So I thought that was interesting. I think that probably tells you something about the balance that I was trying to achieve. By the way, I think that would be a great quote. <laughs> not wall-to-wall piss-taking, Dave Trott. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I didn't include that on his, on his blurb, but I probably should have in hindsight. Would have been pretty good. So I guess before we get into some of the specifics, I mean, do you think this is an optimistic book or a pessimistic? book? Well, I think that's an interesting question. That, that's something that I've been asked before and not just about this book, but about my, I suppose, my take on the industry generally. And I can certainly see how a lot of the book might come across as pessimistic or, or cynical. But I guess the way that I like to think about it is that it's sceptical about modern marketing and, and, you know, our industry. I think it definitely uh, takes aim at some of the conjecture and the woolly thinking that kind of abounds in our industry. But I also like to think that it celebrates some of the well-founded principles of marketing and, and you know, the good work that uh, that we do in, in our industry. So I guess the other thing is that um, I made a conscious decision in some ways to include some of those more optimistic and celebratory pieces in there as well. And that's kind of what I'm referring to with 
that reference to Dave Trott's comment. So I think one of the things that he said was that he was both entertained, but he also learnt something. And I think if people can take away that much from the book, then I'm certainly very happy with that. And I guess the final thing that I'd say about it is that I think it's certainly intended to be a fun read and, you know, mostly lighthearted. So I think in that sense, I would certainly hope that people don't come away from it, you know, filled with a sense of doom about the industry, that there's actually, you know, that that they understand that this is meant to be a humorous take and that um, this it, it's not meant to be, uh, not meant to fill them with misery. So hopefully there's a bit of a balance between pessimism and optimism. All right. Very good. We're going to get into it now. I think for those of you who don't have the book, you're probably going to want it uh, after we chat. But uh, but just to give you a feel of it, again, if you don't know the book, I mean, as I experienced it, it, to me, it's a bit like Monty Python. It's a bit like, for those of us of a certain age, Spy Magazine. It's a bit like National Lampoon. It's just a gonzo, very graphic, very funny, uh, kaleidoscopic send-up uh, with some pieces that are a bit more heartfelt, as as uh, Ryan has, has told you, of our business. But there's a real energy to this book, and and just 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 as Ryan said to you, you can kind of come into it and and sort of be you know charmed by it, and in, in any in any section. So hopefully that uh, that 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 sets the duck. And then the topics covered are modern marketing, brands, advertising, creativity, business words, because we'll get into the importance of words in, in Ryan's career, and then uh, festive specials, which <laughs> was very funny. But this kind of gonzo feel, I mean, uh, maybe just comment a little bit on your you know partnership with Gasp and uh, you know on the book. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Monty Python, because that was kind of very loosely the inspiration for the design. So Gasp and Giles Edwards, who is one of the founders of Gasp, and I talked about that when they first came back to me with the, you know, the design concepts for the book, and they had quite a few, and, and the one that just jumped out at me was uh, the design that you see on the cover, and we both, you know, I mean, it was, it was very intentionally Monty Python-esque, um, which immediately appealed to me. And I, I just felt that that really reflected the tone of the book and, you know, the style of my satire and so on. Um, so we agreed that that was, we kind of both agreed immediately that that was the way to go. And that's what has been infused through the book. And I think even some of the reviews that we've had from people really, ref- I think, reflect the fact that we have captured that sensibility. You know, I've had people comment that it's it's almost like Douglas Adams or, you know, that there are hints of Paul Arden in there and so on. And a lot of that credit has to go to the guys at Gasp because they've really been able to weave a lot of my kind of disparate pieces of content into something that's really greater than the sum of its parts. And I guess that's, you know, a little bit analogous to what Python did with, you know, Terry Gilliam with his animations between their various sketches and so on. So if there's any... You know, if people are prepared to um, see Python in it, then that's, I think we've really achieved what we, what we set out to do. Well, opening spread, two blokes, left side of page, right side of page. Left side of page first says, want to buy some snake oil? Right side of the page says, no way, I'm not falling for that. Left side, but it's digital snake oil. Right side, sold. <laughs> I mean, right. That gets you right in, and again, there's there's just a wonderful uh, energy uh, to the book. One of the one of the, the the spreads I think maybe we'll chat a bit about, um, and I can cover specifics in a minute. Is I love the new acronyms that every marketer must know. This was really funny. The uh, and, I'll, and I'll throw a few out there. The uh, the CJO, who's the chief jargon officer. 
<laughs> I love this new form of uh, ROI called the ROG, the return on gobbledygook. Uh, and of course, uh, everyone's favorite, not B2B, but B2S, which is business to self. I mean, again, maybe just talk a little bit about a, a spread like this on acronyms. You know, how did you come up with it? Well, it's a few years ago, that one. Um, and interestingly, it doesn't, I don't think it's aged particularly. Uh, all, all these issues seem to persist. But I guess it was conceived from having seen, you know, so many acronyms pop up in our industry and, and so many of them kind of that just seemed silly that I thought, well, how do you send this up? And, and it was, ended up not being particularly difficult, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, that's how it happened. That's a good one. Now, one of my other favorite ones, and I think this was particularly genius, because, again, we, we all live in the, you know, kind of acronym of Palooza. But, <laughs> but I thought you, you took a nice leap here. This was if classic taglines were rewritten today. Now, this was just one of my all-time favorites. So please, everyone out there, just, just indulge me. I think you're really going to like this. So the old Davis, we try harder. Put through the filter of new writing, we try harder is driving ambition. Uh, the old Amex, don't leave home without it, live convenient. And I like the fact that it's not conveniently. You did it in a more, <laughs> a more modern way. Of course. Um, <laughs> it's the only way to do it now. Uh, Good Beast Classic Got Milk. Again, as if it were rewritten today, maybe with a bot, maybe with some AI, maybe just with, you know, a junior. Um, Got Milk was pasteurization for your utilization. Some people said that that should, that they actually quite liked that and it was better than the original, which worried me <laughs> greatly. Oh, that is just genius. I, I yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, uh, if that happens today, I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, I'll go on the flip side on this one. Innovative doing solutions. That's the new modern tagline. If you were going to rewrite, of course, Nike's just do it. <laughs> yeah. That one was, that one seemed obvious. <laughs> But the, but I'm glad you put this one last because, you know, put the punchlines at the end. Beans means Heinz, you know, the classic, you know, UK uh, Heinz tagline. Beans means Heinz. Beanfulness redefined. Epic. <laughs> Thank you. So that must have been fun to write. It was, yeah. It's one of those things where I sort of, I think I thought up, a, you know, a couple of them came to me and then I started thinking, of, well, what are some other classics? And, yeah, they, it just kind of wrote itself in the end. Now, we are, award season is, is upon us. Of course, uh, we just saw the A-list uh, launch today. Behold. Uh, on this particular spread, the Real Advertising Awards, do you remember any anything that you've written here? Ah, uh, some of it, yeah. Yeah, it was, that one it also was a few years ago, but yeah. Tell me some of your favorites, if you can recall them. I, I've got them here, but I want to hear them from you. Oh, okay, the Lipstick on a Pig Award was for the, <laughs> uh, the best case study of an otherwise awful campaign or something along those lines. Very good. Um, the one that led to the title of the book, which is the Delusions of Brandra Award, which I think is an advertising agency that vehemently denies being an advertising agency. Well, because the, the, they're a creative solutions company. Yeah. Um, I, I would just roll through a few because I think I think uh, the, fo the folks out in uh, podcast land will appreciate the Groomed Beard Award. That's still oh, yeah. relevant, seeing some good beards still. The Golden Bollocks Award. <laughs> That's very good. The uh, and and I think that uh, the WTF award for the most incomprehensible new industry acronym. Yeah, I got into acronyms for a while there, as yeah, you can tell from the book. Very good. 
And then um, I thought this was very powerful too. And again, all everything I'm reading here, I mean, it, you know, it's it's a send up, it's satire, uh, it feels uh, pessimistic, but I but I but I do think there is the, the book is not ultimately pessimistic. I think the book actually is quite optimistic. But this was great. I thought uh, the scariest phrases in marketing, and I feel like I've had a few meetings <laughs> recently where I've heard this. We all have. Um, I'm going to read a few. Scariest phrases in marketing. I'll, I'll, I'll read three. What's our brand purpose? That's scary. Uh, we need to be on TikTok. That's scary. Uh, this classic, literally anything is dead. And I love you have a whole section on the death of advertising circa 2016, 2017, 2018, and I think 1996. <laughs> Just crazy. Every, every year. Yeah, every every year advertising's dead. And, and I don't know, this year I feel like we're, we're busier than ever. <laughs> and of course, the other scariest uh, marketing phrase, millennials crave experiences. And, and yet still we see it all the time or hear it. It is. It's yeah, nuts. Yeah, it's frightening, isn't it? It's nuts. Now, like I said, the book, again, the, 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 this book is wonderful, and it's one of those books you can you don't have to read it you know, in one sitting. You can uh, come back to it again and again and again. There was one piece that I thought was very uh, powerful in this book, uh, and I want you to talk about it, which is you saw a remarkable ad. At some point in your life, uh, before you got into advertising, you saw this remarkable ad for, uh, I think it was a sprinkler company. Yeah. And maybe talk about that, because I think when I saw that, that's where I saw a rainbow in the rain here. I thought, yep. wow, this guy's really trying to remind us of the power of advertising. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a long time ago now. You know, I was, I was literally a kid of, I don't know, seven or eight and there was this ad on TV that would have nobody, none of your listeners would have seen for sure um, because uh, it was in Australia and it was actually probably localised to Western Australia and at that time Western Australia was a pretty pretty backward kind of place. <laughs> but the ad was, uh, was for this, as you say, uh, a brand of garden sprinkler and it was completely silent. So... Well, silent apart from the fact you could hear this kind of this sprinkler going just in the background, not particularly loud. And it went for, you know, the 30 second ad. And then there was no voiceover or anything. And then at the end, it said, um, there's just a super over the screen that said something to the effect of this is the only sound you'll hear from um, from one of our garden sprinklers, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. But the point was that it was just so different from all of the other ads that were around at the time. You know, they, 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 were, they tended to be garish and loud and, you know, they kind of stuff as much in as they could. Um, so it just really stood out to me as being particularly different and, and, and it made me think, well, that's, you know, that's interesting that they've gone with such a different approach. And, and I think the fact that it, it, it was so different, you know, it's the, I guess it's the classic zag with another zig, but it, it was just something that I'd never seen before and made me think that's pretty powerful and kind of, I guess it was the first inkling that I'd had that perhaps, you know, I, I would be interested in doing something like this, which then kind of, you know, got derailed <laughs> mm -hmm. for, for about 20 years. But, um, but yeah, yeah, that, that was pretty much the story. And, it, and I think one of the points that I make in, in that article that you refer to in the book is that even in kind of this age where we overcomplicate a lot of stuff in our industry. I think um, keeping something as simple as that and, and just remembering what the, you know, what the fundamentals are of, of advertising is still really powerful and, and things haven't really changed that much. Well, what you refer to as Zig and, and, and Zag and what our friends at BBH would, would call that as well, yep. we, of course, refer to that as disruption. And, yes, um, yeah, well, very similar. Welcome welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. <laughs> um, no, but I think what you're saying is 
as true that moment that you saw that when you were whatever in Perth or wherever that part of the world was yep. uh, as it is today. And I think that we forget the power of a simple good idea. Absolutely. And that is still kind of the reason why I still get out of bed in the morning. That That's, you know, and, and, and maybe you do as well. I mean, is that... Are you still uh, as motivated by that uh, today as, as you were that that moment that you saw that? Uh, definitely, and and in some ways more so, just because because I see all the you know the peripheral stuff that goes on, you know, and the and as I say, the overcomplication, and I just get tired of of the complexity, <laughs> and the power of really simple creative ideas is still very attractive to me. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, again, you and I have had this interesting um, Twitter relationship and, and you're a wonderful person to follow on Twitter. So if you're not following uh, at Dr. Uh, underscore Draper, you really owe it to yourself because I think, <laughs> you know, not only, you know, do you have your wonderful salvos against the business, but I think you're, you're also struggling to share the great stuff when you see it. Uh, you know, you're, you're struggling like like a lot of us to remind people that this is a power. And one thing I will say is that uh, just, I think within the last 24 hours, um, I think somebody you may know, Richard Schott, yeah, yeah. another another great uh, Twitter uh, person, he posted uh, four ads from Porsche. Uh. They were excellent. And then I posted a fifth ad uh, from Porsche, a classic Shia uh, Day special. Uh, there are no getaway cars in Germany. That's one of my one of my favorite ads of all time. Oh, uh, it's such a good one. Yeah. Uh, and then um, uh, another guy, uh, Sebastian Grobner, again, another good guy to follow. Yep. He posts 6789. Yep. And you can see that when something is simple and strong and powerful and represents the best of our business, my God, it's like a revolution on Twitter. I mean, are you, do you find that that happens? You know, you know, from your part of the world. I definitely. Uh, I think I've actually talked about this. I, I can't remember what another podcast where I spoke about another this, podcast, where, but not as good as this I, podcast. It, it, definitely not as good. Definitely not as good. Um, but but I made because uh, I think the question was. You know, you, you you kind of post a lot of this stuff about the industry and, you know, taking the piss out of it and so on. Um, but what about the good stuff and, you know, what, what happens um, when you see good stuff on Twitter? And that's exactly, that was pretty much exactly the answer I gave, which is that when you see a really, something that's shared that's really good or, you know, fantastic copywriting, not necessarily, you know, the old stuff like the, the classics like that, but even, you know, when there's, when there's a, something new that comes out that's just fantastic copy or, or a great ad, it catches fire mm. on, on Twitter, I find. I think there's almost this, everyone's kind of waiting for this, you know, for the really good stuff. They're, they're tired of the kind of the, you know, the drab um, or, you know, and the, and the buzzwords and the overcomplicated, overthought stuff that we generally see. So, so I think, uh, yeah, and as you say, it kind of, it starts to build on itself and people people really add to it and yeah it's it's really that's the really nice part of twitter i think and again we're, we're going to get into to your 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 uh your, your working life but but i guess i have to ask you you know why do you think there is this proliferation of complication and vanilla again from your from your purview why why can't we disrupt on a daily basis why is it so hard for for clients and agencies and and, and creative departments to leap to that well, look, I I work for a small agency, and and I probably am not 
privy to the layers of bureaucracy that go on with big organisations, you know, whether it's big agencies or, or big client companies. But even at our level, you know, we can see how hard it can be to get simple ideas through and to and to get, you know, good ideas through. So, you know, the the, the classic design by committee is, is, is a constant problem because mm-hmm. there are always people that have their opinions about it and, you know, you, you, I mean, you know full well that you can have great, great creative ideas that can get watered down just through rounds of changes or whatever it is. And it takes a lot of persistence to mm. to try and ensure that that doesn't happen. And and I imagine that that problem is multiplied many times over when it, you know when you're dealing with big companies. And so I suspect that that's probably one of the big problems. The other thing that I'd say is that I get the sense that there's a lot of people in marketing who um, or marketing advertising whatever who um, I don't know if this is quite the right word, but are who who are slightly ashamed of. What they do, you know, that, mm. that uh, you know that good advertising and good marketing can be quite a simple affair in terms of you know it's not necessarily very complicated, and so they feel the need to be able to justify what they do with with this kind of complication, and I think that's probably one of the contributors as well. Yeah, and I, I think you're 100 right. And one of the things that I was thinking about is. I probably have a pretty good idea of most of the folks reading your book. And one of my questions to you was, are clients reading your book? <laughs> no, I've tried to keep that away from them, to be honest. <laughs> no, uh, they have. Look, I know. Uh, I know that a couple of clients have read it, and we haven't been fired yet. So that's you know, I assume that they didn't mind it. But I think, in a broader sense, you know, aside from you know our our own clients. Uh, I've had quite a lot of nice comments from people on the client side, Good. which is uh, which has surprised me a bit. But I think the real, probably the most prominent um, theme that's come through what they've said is that is that a lot of it resonates with them, and and even in some cases, you know, they say, oh, oh I'm guilty of that. So I think um, it's not just people, you know, sniping from the agency side. I think there is kind of uh, there's some resonance that cuts through to to people on the client side, which is which is nice. Well, listen, it's, there, there, there's truth there. And as the great philosopher Homer Simpson said, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> Absolutely. One of, the, one of the great lines. So before you became uh, this wonderful uh, satirist, the Mark Twain of Melbourne. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm writing that one down, by the way. Oh, please. Please take it. It's yours. <laughs> Thanks. Um, what, do you do? What, do you, what do you do on a daily basis? What are you doing over there at Wellmark? Well, we're a... We're a it's a very specialised agency. Uh, so we're a creative agency, but we specialise in healthcare. And our heritage is very much in kind of pharmaceutical marketing, really, although we have diversified uh, in the past five, six years into kind of more general healthcare and a bit of consumer stuff. But to be honest, a lot of the work I do is, well, it's, a, it's a really a mix between technical medical writing, mm-hmm. which is kind of where I started, Creative copywriting and and now kind of creative direction as well. So, because it's a small agency, you know, I'm I'm not kind of in the position where I'm where I'm just overseeing work. For example, you know, I still I still do a fair bit of writing day to day. But yeah, it's an interesting mix, and it, and it's not something that most people in certainly in advertising would be familiar with because it is because it is such a, a a niche area. Now it's healthcare and it's technical. Now why don't you talk a little bit about the special training you had to go into advertising, <laughs> and I'm talking specifically about your actual 
medical career. You're you're not a doctor in in in, in tweet only. No, no, which which has surprised a few people. I've had I've had a few people. Hang on, you what the f- you're actually a doctor, yeah. So yes, I think it's fair to say that I took a different path from most people that are in uh, in advertising, which is that I, yeah I trained and practiced as a doctor for about seven years, uh, and then decided to get the fuck out. Um, for various reasons, uh, excuse the language there for your listeners. Oh, they like they, our listeners like that. No Do problem. they? Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'd always love writing. So um, essentially, I wanted to find a way that I could become a writer without kind of completely abandoning that healthcare uh, training and you know and and expertise. So I did a graduate certificate in professional writing, and I started to look into whether you know whether there was such a thing as a medical writer initially. And fortunately, there was, although the, although jobs were kind of few and far between. Did a little bit of freelancing, and then and then ended up getting a job at my current agency. Um, and that was, you know, that was as a junior writer twelve years ago. Hmm. And that's kind of been the yeah how it all happened. I mean, you must have been the most uh, well-educated junior in the history of advertising, <laughs> and the oldest junior, I think, as well. I was almost thirty at that stage. So, I mean, do, do you find that that actually helps you sell through work? You know, the fact that you were, you know, a, a practicing doctor, the fact that you went to grad school to be a writer. I mean, some of that I would have to say, if I'm on the other side of the table, would be intimidating and, and, and therefore an advantage, uh, you know, to, to, to sell, you know, some, some brave work. It's, it's, it has certainly helped um, because particularly with the pharmaceutical work that we do, which is, you know, we have to, we have to be able to write for doctors, and specialists, you know, quite seriously um, specialist areas where you just don't kind of have the language to be able to speak to them if you, if you ha- don't have some kind of at least scientific background, but, it's, but a medical background is even better. So, so it was very helpful with clients to be able to say, look, you know, we understand this. We, we, know, we know the language that we need to speak um, with these guys. So, uh, so it, it was definitely advantageous and, and continues to be. And I guess the, I, I mean... Whether whether anyone finds me intimidating, I'm not a particularly intimidating person. <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm five foot ten and about sixty five kilos, by the way. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I don't think intimidating is quite the right word, but certainly it has helped to be able to sell things into clients and and to be able and also it just makes the work a lot easier because we don't have to, you know, I don't have to get my head around the science. Um, for a long time, and then and then the comedy as you as you were uh, talking about your STEM, yep. you know what we call you know science, technology, engineering, math, STEM. I was thinking, yes, a little STEM, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants. So <laughs> there's some part of you that that got uh, a comic bug. So between the the science and the medicine, how did the funny happen? Uh, I think I think it had always been there. I'd certainly always. Even you know, well, even before I got into medicine, I used to write, uh, and I think my natural style kind of tended towards the, the dry humour. And even you know, I mean, we we're talking about Monty Python. I mean, they were a huge influence on me as a kid. Um, so I think it's kind of suffused what I, the way that I write ever since, really. And so I think that was a bit of a gap in that I, you know, I, I think I'd probably always wanted to do some of that writing. And I found, you know, once I got into, once I kind of got into our industry, that I just felt like that was a natural way to do it. Once I saw some of the stuff that could be satirised um, within marketing, that I, I just kind of took that and ran with it. Yeah. Seemed to kind of get a bit of traction on Twitter and so on, and then, yeah, it's kind of went it went from there. Yeah, I kind of feel like uh, you were a doctor first and then you became a comedian, and the reverse would be Groucho Marx, who was a comedian first and then would often play a doctor. <laughs> I'll take that, yeah. <laughs> so, and how do you think social media, Twitter in particular, 
How did this uh, accelerate your career and how did it ultimately inspire the book, if, if you think it did? Well, it definitely inspired the book in that I most of the stuff that I wrote was either on Twitter as little snippets and satirical pieces or was, you know, through blog posts and things that I'd done but then obviously shared on social media. And so, it, I mean, it really wouldn't have occurred to me to write a book, I don't think, unless I already had that <laughs> all that material sitting ready to go. And the other thing I think about that is that social media is, a, I find it to be a great testing ground. Mm. So essentially, essentially the, what you see in the book is mostly stuff that I felt had done particularly well on Twitter or, you know, people had responded to it well. And so I knew that at least it wasn't going to be hated because it got a pretty good response on there. So I found that really, really handy. But in terms of my career, well, look, I think it's helped a lot in that Twitter has given me a, a much broader perspective than I would have had otherwise because, I mean, you know, we're a long way away from the rest of the world and certainly from you guys. And yet I've had all this contact with people all around the world. And, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people in the UK now in the industry, in New York, you know, I just have had so much, I've learnt so much as well as, you know, as well as being able to put stuff out there uh, that I think it's, I think it's helped significantly in what I'm able to provide to our clients and uh, and and also kind of, you know, bring to the team. So, yeah, I think Twitter's been amazing, really, for me. Uh, it's been a bit of a re- revelation in some ways. Yeah, no, it's good. I feel uh, I feel honoured to be part of your focus group. <laughs> it's reciprocated. <laughs> so now you've got some stuff coming up, right? I think I saw something, something on the Twitters you're going to do. Uh, is it something in India? Are you doing a uh, a panel or a keynote mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of other Twitter celebrities, Vicky Ross and some others? So, yeah, I'm speaking at an event called Z Melt, which is in Mumbai uh, in April. Uh, yes, with Dave Trott, Vicky Ross, Glenn Fisher, who's a who's a well-known copywriter from the UK, uh, and a couple of others. So, so, yeah, that should be fun. What else have I got coming up? Oh. I think that's it for the foreseeable future. But I'd just like to make the point that I'm open to speaking opportunities in New York. If anyone yeah, is listening, let's do it. so <laughs> I really want to so go. Tell to New me York. a little bit, Zemel. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've heard of this. this. This is a pretty cool show. What what uh, like what's your topic going to be? I mean, obviously the book, but you know, tell us a little bit about uh, what one could expect if they're in the audience over there. Uh, you've put me on the spot here because I haven't actually <laughs> what, told them what my topic is yet. <laughs> Let's brainstorm some stuff. What were you thinking? Well, they're very lenient uh, in terms of kind of letting us do whatever we want, I think. Um, but look, I've, I mean, when I've spoken in the past, it's generally been talking about copywriting and, and you know, the ba- principles of copywriting, but but mixed in with a bit of humour, obviously, yeah. uh, and some of the stuff, from the, even some of the stuff from the book that I've used before. So I guess it will probably be aimed at at marketers, obviously, but um, probably with more of a, a copywriting bent. But yeah, I, I haven't quite sorted that out yet. All right, well, you'll you'll be you'll be floating some stuff on Twitter, I, I can imagine. Yes, and yes. Um, that's good. Now, and now, how are sales of the book? Sales are good, actually. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I, when we put it out, we really didn't know at all what to expect. And I was thinking, oh, two, you know, two or three hundred might be might be good. Uh, and as of yesterday, we passed a thousand sales, which was which Great. is. I, I mean, I certainly exceeded my expectations, which is good, considering that we went down the, you know, the self-publishing route and mm. um, and didn't have a publisher as such. So, so yeah, it's been really positive. And I think I saw you're uh, doing some brand extensions into posters. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, so we've got some merch going now. Uh, we've got a few posters that you can buy for your office wall, should you be so inclined. Um, and we are planning to do some more as well. So we're going to do 
maybe some mugs and notebooks and stuff like that. Yeah. Because I think uh, just because, as you would have seen, the the book, you know, there are lots of spreads in the book and so on that lend lend themselves to kind of standalone pieces. So I don't know how that'll go, but we'll see. D.O.B., Delusions of Brandy, I think it's got uh, lots of potential for some uh, some good trinkets. Very good. Yeah, thank you. We've also uh, we've got a... This is this is highly confidential at this stage. We've also got a little uh, Monty Python tie-in coming, so Ooh. watch this space. Fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, this is a public podcast, so... Uh, if- <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Off the record, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, this is the point in the show where we, we ask you for a piece of advice. So I think on this one, uh, I would love for you, if someone's got a book in them, what's a piece of advice you would give them? Mm. My piece of advice. Well, okay. I think, I think you just have to believe in yourself. Uh, you know, I didn't. The, the prospect of writing a book was overwhelming when I first considered it, uh, and I was lucky in that I had kind of had material that I could use already. Um, but I think uh, a lot of people are put off by the fact that they think, well, oh, a book. Uh, you know, a book's a, a big, serious thing. But I know quite a few people now who have written a book and I don't I guess the other thing is that and and this particularly relates to my book is that you don't necessarily have to be conventional in the in the way that you approach it you know you don't have to have something that has a traditional structure or or kind of you know reads through 200 pages of you know um, with a with a logical structure to it mine mine obviously is quite piecemeal but I still think there is you know people can respond to things that are a bit different so I, I certainly don't think you should um, try to conform to to what you've seen necessarily uh, I think there's a market for for lots of different books. But on a very practical level, one piece of advice I give you is that you could uh, you could look at Vicky Fraser's website. So she's a she's a UK writer, but she's literally just released a book giving people advice about how to write a book, mm. <laughs> and and it looks fantastic. So uh, so yeah, if you're interested in that, then then take a look at Vicky's website. And there are a few little um, bonuses that she gives you if you if you sign up for the book. Um, lots of advice from you know people in the industry and stuff. So so yes. Practically, that's that's what I would suggest. Fantastic. Well, at Dr. Underscore Draper, that's the person you should follow. And Delusions of Brandier is a wonderful work. And uh, I think at times it shows the death of advertising. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, I think this is a very hopeful book on uh, let's stop making things so complicated and let's try to be great. So, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Robert. It's absolutely a pleasure. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com. 